a similar manner. This is the pastor's state of the church report. Are y'all hearing me today? Why don't you stand up and we're going to pray. I'm going to give it a subtitle. That's kind of what I'm doing. But if I'm going to give you the title of what my, uh, my state of the report is of the church, is that it's the, here's the title I want, to, I want to give you. We're going to read the scriptures in a moment. We'll sit back down as we read today, which is a little bit beyond our, our not uh, consistent with the way I typically do things. However, the subtitle that I'm going to give to you today is a little odd. It's entitled The Necessity of Division. And I'm not talking about things that you learn in math class. The necessity of division. I want you to think about that for a moment. The necessity of division. Father in heaven, I love you and I'm honored for this moment. And I really believe, God, that I'm preaching to men and women that are uh, this, this strikes a chord with the people that are under the sound of my voice today. They're, 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 they want, we want the best for the body of Christ. We want the best for our nation. We want the best. We want to be a bright and a shining light, God, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. We want our voice to matter. We want to, Father, your word says that if we will come to the light, Father, that men and women will see our works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. And that's our desire. We're not desiring to, uh, to ha- be a facade or just an image, uh, a false image, or, uh, hypocrisy or walking in none of those things. We simply want to be bearers of the truth, God, because we know that the truth, Father, as people respond to it, is what sets them free. So we love you today, and we're thankful for this opportunity. Bless the people today as they listen to the Word of God. It's in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. Before we go to the passage of Scripture that I'm going to ask you to uh, turn to me or they're going to post just a few verses of Scripture here, let me take you just in an elementary context of just when I say who we are. I'm talking about the church. And the church is not a building, right? It's not a facility. It is a people. It's an assembly of men and women that have united themselves together in a common faith and in a common agreement. The word is ekklesia in the Greek, and it means the called out ones. Called out of what? Called out of darkness, right? Colossians 1 says that we have been translated. We've been called out of darkness and translated into, God, into God's eternal kingdom. God took us out, right? He did. Are you excited about that? I'm not in darkness today. Right? The light of the Holy Spirit resides on the inside of me, and he can reside on the inside of you as well. It's men and women that are united by faith in Christ. It's the virtue of being born again, not just being religious, not just carrying the title of Christian, not just wearing a cross around your neck or a what would Jesus do bracelet. It's not any of those things. It's about having an authentic relationship with God through Christ, and God has sent the Holy Spirit into your heart crying, Abba, Father. Say, Pastor, how do I know that I'm saved? He communes with you. He joins with your spirit. There's a resurrection that takes place, right? In your spirit, you become alive unto God. And you grow in that faith and that relationship with God. We are called new creatures or new creations in God, in Christ. We are called disciples, Christians, or followers of Jesus. Individually, we are members of the body. Let me give you an example. Fingers on a hand. Individually, we are fingers. Collectively, we as a fellowship are members of his body. And that makes us, again, akin to the hand. So collectively or individually, you would be a finger. As a whole, we become a member. But then, again, as a whole, as the whole body, no matter what denomination, as long as people are authentically born again, we make up the body of Christ. 
right? Yes, there's some fragmentation throughout the body, but we are still united by that common thread of redemption, right? The blood of Jesus Christ that has woven our hearts together in faith. Now, the reality is this. In the, we are Gentile believers in this sense, just only for the purpose of creating the analogy. We are Gentile believers, but we were grafted into the cultivated olive tree of the Jewish believers who first believed in God. Well, that's a lot better than that response. But nonetheless, fellow citizens of the saints, Paul said, and we are of the household of God. We are fellow citizens of the saints. If the apostle Peter was here today, I would not have to stand three steps behind him. Come on, somebody. I'm a fellow citizen of the saints and of the household of God. I have rights, privileges that have been granted unto me because I am in Christ. We are a generation of priests. All of us have access to God's presence right? He encourages all of you to come boldly to the throne room of grace where you can obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, right? And as I've already stated, though, even though we have, all of us have access to the priesthood, yet at the same time, God still has a definite call of ministry that is recognizable in the, in the calling of men and women, and it's discernible to the body of Christ. Do you believe that? I believe that God can anoint us in the midst of our brothers. Let me go a little bit further. Those that are called to the fivefold ministry office, God must affirm us, and I believe He does. And as He does, the body will as well. Here's what the Apostle Paul said The elders that rule well should be counted worthy of double honor. There should be something discernible. And those that serve in the capacity of leadership in the local body of Christ to the point that the Apostle Paul said, if they are ruling well, then the body needs to recognize it. It says a little bit later in the book of Hebrews to obey. This is a response. This is your response to godly leadership. Obey those that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. I'm not talking about following a cult. I'm not talking about doing wacky things, right? I don't want your land or your wife. I got my own house and my own wife, just so you'll know that. Don't want any of yours in that sense. And so, but, but, but in the proper sense, obey those that have rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? Because we watch for your soul. Because you can rest assured somebody's praying for you. God's laid somebody, uh, God's laid you, you on somebody's heart. And many times it's the leadership of this church that we're praying for. We're watching for your soul. Because why? Because we're going to give account before God one day. I'm going to tell you, I, I, this, is a, this is a heavy calling. This is, not, uh, this is not a career choice. This is a call from God. And those of us that have fully accepted it, we recognize that one day we're going to give account before God. I'm going to give account before God of how I handled you for the years that I've been your pastor. I was wrong. I was in the air. But let me say, if I didn't need to apologize, let me just press on right now, that they might do it with joy and, with, with, and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Here's something that I just want to just kind of talk to you for just a moment. I see division in the church. Let me just go a little further. I see division in the church. In a doctrinal sense, yes, the body of Christ, there's doctrinal division. That's why we're here. The church of God's across the street. The Nazarenes are down the road. The Methodists are up on the hill. New Life's on the, on the bypass. Uh, Independent Baptist is looking out over our property. Because there is some division. But now in the midst of that, there's still some unity too, right? Even though there is a division, doctrinally, if there is a common agreement on certain principles, then we can still have some measure of unity, 
right but we see more than that we see in the church often discord and there can be racial division in the church there can you know uh, listen i'm not trying to 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 go out and uh, but but there is racial division but racial division isn't always just from uh the the majority of white folk it can be racial division created by the minority all right, I know y'all wouldn't go shout me down on that, but I'll say it anyhow. And so let me just go a little bit further. We have division that's based upon socioeconomic status at times. Birds of a feather often flock together. But here's my observation about division. I have found, well, I wanted to let me state one more. that I, This is the one that I'm really seeing start to emerge. This is my observation from my particular place. If I can be on the wall like a prophet of old for a few moments, I'm seeing cultural acceptance division. I'm seeing some creation of division by the, within the body of Christ because there's a portion of the body of Christ that gives more cultural acceptance than another group within the body of Christ. And we're going to kind of build around that here in just a moment. But so let me say this. I understand that division is a unique concept. I recognize that division can weaken us as a whole because it would be, we would be stronger if we were united. A thrice-braided cord is not easily broken. Let's pick up the context of division because in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul does something very odd in the subject matter of division. He first uh, reproves it. But if you'll study the very same epistle, you'll find in the very same epistle that he approved or he reproved division, he also commended division. Let's go a little further. 1 Corinthians 1, let's read this passage. Now I beseech ye, brethren. Do you like that? I just feel that. I just, when I read it, I beseech ye, brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them that are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. So here the apostle Paul is reproving the Corinthians because if you were to read this on down in its entirety, that the local body there at Corinth was being divided based upon who baptized who. One said, well, I was baptized by Apollos. The other said, I was baptized by this person or of Cephas. And somebody said, well, I wasn't baptized. It was just Jesus. He mysteriously, magically came down and he dunked me under the water. And so it was creating division. Paul said, I'm just glad I didn't baptize anybody. Or you'd have said that I I baptized in my own name. I'm just glad I preached the gospel. So Paul is reproving the people for the division that has been created through sectarianism in the local body. And with this, he's exhorting them to be unified together. I'm telling you, there is a power that's necessary in a local body, right? I will never cross the road and go right into the midst of the church of God and try to reprove them for their doctrine. Right, I will love them and pray that God works in their heart and pray that that body can be unified. But I will pray for unity in this body. Are y'all hearing me today? And praying that we're going to speak the same thing and be in harmony and in agreement because Paul warns us in the third chapter about the effects of division. In the third verse of the third chapter, he said, you are yet carnal, whereas if there's envy and strife and divisions Are you not carnal and you walk as men? You're limited, you're hindered, and you're full effectiveness if the body, even the local body, has schisms and divided up. 
And so I, I want you to know today that division can hinder the strategic efforts of the local body of Christ, right? Just like a home, right? How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? So I understand that there's a powerful principle to unity. But I'm going to show you where the same apostle that wrote and he reproved the Corinthians for the division. Ten chapters later, he commends the Corinthians for their division. And so let's contemplate that for just a moment and ask for God to help us in understanding it. It's in the 18th verse of the 11th chapter that Paul references divisions again. He said in the 18th verse, first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And Paul said, and I partly believe it. He said, I'm not there to, you know, to see it with my own eyes, but I'm just kind of listening by those that were sent from your church to give me a report of, of what's going on at your church. He said, and I, 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 I haven't seen it, but he said, but I believe that those divisions are among you. I partly believe it. And then he said, and then he kind of prophetically said something. Let's read that 19th verse because it's herein lies the heart of what I want to share with you today. There must also be heresies among you. Now, when you and I think about heresy, our first, uh, we think about a false teaching. But the actual word just simply means sectarianism, a, a sect or a division among you. He said, for uh, again, there must also be heresies or sects, S-E-C-T-S, or, uh, or divisions among you that, you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Let me read it from another version, the New International Version. It says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Now, that's a strong, isn't that a contrast from what he just said in the first chapter when he said, I speak that you would all speak the same thing, be in one mind, one accord, one judgment. And then 10 chapters later, he's saying, I'm writing and I know there's sectarianism among you. He said, and I believe it, but he said, it's kind of necessary because only then will we be able to discern between those that have the approval or the affirmation of God. Because let me say this again, you can be in the same building and not be unified. And so Paul is going a little bit further. Let me read it again from another translation, the New Living Translation. He, the, there the translation says, There must be divisions among you so that, that those of you that have God's approval will be recognized. I'm telling you, I'm, lurk, I'm looking for the approval of God. I want God's affirmation. I'm searching in that sense for God's affirmation. So what's implied in the text implied in the text under the context of the church and under the fuller umbrella of Christianity, there are always going to be those who have a form of godliness but deny the true power of the gospel. That have the look, the appearance, they can walk, the, they, they can talk the talk, but they may not be walking the walk. Right? Again, they are the ones with the WWJD bracelet. They bought the t-shirt. They got the necklace. But that doesn't mean that their heart Jesus said this. He said, you are that generation that honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So it just seems to me that in the context of the church and under the fuller umbrella of the, uh, uh, of the body of Christ, we are going to have men and women that, again, are deemed Christian because they attend a Christian fellowship, but that does not necessarily mean that they are approved of God. Let me go a little further. Titus said, they profess that they know God. But in works, they deny him. They are abominable and disobedient and to every good work reprobate. 
It would say later in 2 Timothy, there are those who concerning the truth have erred. Paul said in Romans, there are those that hold the truth in unrighteousness. They've got the knowledge of the truth. They've been taught the truth, but they're not walking in righteousness before God. Let's go a little bit further. 1 John 1 says that if we say that we have fellowship with God, if you say that you say, said the, the, the sinner's prayer, if you say all these things, Pastor, I got water baptized, or I, I repeated a prayer, or I know the Apostles' Creed, but John said if you say that you have fellowship with him and you walk in darkness, then you lie and you do not the truth. And so today, I want you to know, in the body of Christ today, there is a division that's taking place within even, within even the smaller umbrellas of the local body, but certainly within the larger umbrella of the body of Christ. And so you say, well, Pastor Brown, wait a minute. You should be talking about division. You're supposed to be calling for peace and unity and fellowship because can't we just all, can't we just all love one another? Can't we just love one another? Because God just loves us. God is, God is love. God is love. He is love. And he is merciful and he's compassionate. But God is many-sided. Let me just go a little further. 2 John verse 10 says, If there come any unto you. Say, Pastor, you're supposed to always be embracing. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine and receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speak. I'm going to just preach it whether y'all responded or not. I'm telling you, sometimes there's a need for division. There's a need for, it's called the necessity of division. Because if you don't believe in the virgin birth, if you don't believe in the blood of Jesus, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him, I'm not holding hands with you, and I'm not singing kumbaya on the stage so that CNN can come and do an interview with us Christians and how we're all unified together. No, I'm not playing your game. I'm not dancing to your drumbeat. I'm going to say if you don't bring the doctrine that God, sent his son to die on a rugged cross because men were sinners they were evil they were unrighteous there was none righteous no not one but God laid upon him the iniquity of us all then I can't have fellowship with you I'm just telling you the truth today let's go a little bit farther it says in Romans chapter 16 verse 17 once again the necessity of division he said mark those that cause divisions and offenses among you that are contrary to the doctrine which you have learned Amen. and avoid them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I avoid someone, I in essence, oh, I know, I'm, Lord, I feel you. The Holy Ghost just said, preach it anyhow. Lee, just preach it anyhow. They'll catch it one day. They'll catch it and avoid them. Here's what he said later, 18th verse. He said, because by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. By good words and fair speeches. You saw even Jesus spoke of the necessity of division. Yes, he did. Here's what he said. Suppose you that I have come to send peace on the earth. He said, I didn't come to send peace, but rather division. Oh, my God, y'all missed a great place to say amen, but y'all haven't caught hold of what I'm saying just yet. He said, because the doctrine that I preach, the gospel that I preach, it will divide a household. 
It'll divide a mother uh, from her daughter-in-law. It'll divide a father from the son-in-law. It will because there's only, and, and there's going to come a moment in time when your heart is only going to be bound in true fellowship to those that have the virtue of genuine redemption in their life. Doesn't mean you're not compassionate to people. Doesn't mean that you're arrogant or you're bitter or you're callous or you're cold or you're ugly or you're malicious. Any of those things. I don't believe in exercising that, that work of the flesh. But in my heart, I can shake hands with somebody that I'm unite, not united to. I can smile. I, I'm not playing the hypocrite. I just want to be a nice person. I just want to be a kind person. But I'm telling you what, I can't give my heart to somebody. I don't care how much they push Islam in America today. I'm not standing in any mosque with a a Muslim holding hands and saying Allah is the same God as Yahweh. I'm not doing it. You can do it if you want to, but as for me and my house, I made up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord Jehovah, the Lord Jehovah. So again, it doesn't mean, because even though division is necessary to determine doctrinally who is approved or affirmed of God, it doesn't mean that we're contentious. It doesn't mean we're fear mongers. It doesn't mean that we create strife or discord. What it means is this. It means I possess a belief in the scriptures that determines a response. It determines a response in my own heart and life. Either we unite or we divide. Let me go a little bit farther. I can, as I have previously stated, I can unite in heart with those who believe in the Scriptures, the virtue of the blood. They don't have to be assembly of God. They don't have to be Pentecostal. They, they can be of whatever denomination or affiliation. I can unite my they can even. They don't have to embrace my experience of having the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They may think it odd that I lay hands on my son yesterday in front of the church when I got ready at the conclusion of his wedding ceremony. They may think that a little bit odd. They may have called me a holy roller and all the things that have ever happened to Pentecost. I'm okay with that. As long long as they believe in the virtue of the blood of Jesus. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I can look past all that. I can, I can still have some measure of fellowship, right? It, because of the power of his grace and the virtue of his blood. But I want you to know today, I'm going to just go out there on a limb. There are some folk that I just can't unite my heart together with. And I'm just going to be honest. Some of these are familiar. Some of this is not new doctrine. But listen, if you have a belief in and a support of abortion and the abortion meal and the abortion clinic in America today, I'm just telling you, my heart can never be united together with yours. I just think I don't know how it even ever entered into a man's mind that we should go into the womb of a woman and take out her living child and then dump it in a dumpster somewhere or sell its body part. I, I, I tell you, it's demonic in my personal opinion. You say, Pastor, you can't say those things because there may have been a lady under your sound of your voice that, that went through a divorce, or, or an abortion. And I know I go, I take the risk every time that I, I speak about that. But I say this today, the grace of God is sufficient. The virtue of God can heal your heart and your soul. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'm not trying, I, I'm not throwing a stone at you. I'm throwing a stone at the system, at the system that created the vortex that you felt like you needed to go down and have that abortion. I have, I'll never, this is just me. Listen, churches that affirm homosexuality as acceptable behavior, I'm just not knitting my heart. 
I tell you, it was about five years ago I found myself in a uh, pastor's, uh, it was uh, the, the Ministerial Alliance. The Ministerial Alliance uh, has the annual, uh, what was it, the, not Easter service, Good Friday service. I was a part of it. I looked up on, a, on that uh, service that we had, the Good Friday service at noon, and I looked around and I said, I am sitting in an Episcopalian church. And the last I checked, the Episcopalian church had recently ordained homosexuals. And I said, what in the world am I doing sitting in this church? And that was the last time that I attended one of those meetings and I've not been a part. Now listen, I'm not trying to create contention and strife. I'm just simply saying, you can do that if you want to do it, but as for me and my house, I'm not going that direction. That's just my personal conviction. I'm going to go a little bit farther. You'll get mad at me, but I can't help it. I'm going to preach it anyhow. I'm 47 years old for one more day, and the older I get, the stronger my faith grows, and the bolder I get. People that support the the Democratic Party and its allegiance to abortion and homosexuality and gay marriage, I can be nice to you. I can smile. I can ask about your grandchildren, but my heart cannot knit together in love with yours, and this is the reason why. It's because you're affirming the thing that I believe God is condemning, and that's just me. That's just my age. I'm sorry if that offends you. You got to work it out. I can be kind but not united. Churches that pacify the cultural issues of the age perhaps get on my nerves worse than anything else. I'm just telling you the truth today. Churches that pacify the issues of the age, that churches that have created an atmosphere of supposed non-offense because they think, they, they, they call us malicious, they call us badgering preachers when we speak out against cultural issues and, and they fail to speak directly to these and many other issues and they call us in error for preaching the truth. They do, and I'm just being honest here today with you, but Paul said this, by good words and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You know what church has become all across America under the context of contemporary Christianity? We have become nothing more than a social networking hour, a moment of time when people can come and have their itching ears scratched, where the gospel has very little deep penetration in their hearts. You say, well, pastor, aren't they learning that Jesus is a Savior? Yes, he is their Savior. And yes, thank God that they're being exposed to the salvation call of God. But he's more than our Savior. He's our Lord. And we're to bend our will, our lives. We're to conform our will to his will. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? It's about growing and maturing. What I used to be, I'm no longer. He called me out of darkness. He didn't just pacify me and justify me. You say, well, pastor, didn't he receive you just as you are? Yes, he received me just as I was, but he didn't leave me right there. He put something deep inside of my heart that would change my life from the inside out. He put the Spirit of God, and he gave me the Word of God, and I began to grow, and I began to mature, and I began to lay aside the works of the flesh, and I began to say, God, conform me to the image of thy son, Jesus, God. Call me out of the darkness so that I can live in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, I'm just going to tell you today, I just believe that it's an error that when we fail to teach and preach the truth, even if it is offensive to someone, we rob that person of the liberating power of the truth and conviction. We have stolen from them because only when they're exposed to the truth of God Personally, this is just me. I'm a non-contentious person. I know you think, Pastor, that don't seem that way. Ask these guys. I'm a peacemaker. I've always been a peacemaker. There are times I don't want to preach about these things. Times it's the hardest thing I ever do in my life to do these things. 
But I know one thing. The church has to be more than a place where we prop up. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Hypocritical Christians and pacify them in their complacency and their apathy before God. I'm going to love you enough to challenge you to say you need to examine yourself. Are you really in the faith? I'm going to love you enough to say expose your heart to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let it penetrate into your heart and your mind and deal with the issues of your own heart and life. You know what? I made my mind up. I'm going to be like the prophet Amos. And I'm going to take you to this passage here before I close today. In the book of Amos, and it's in the seventh chapter. They're going to put some of these verses on the screen. But let me just take you into the depth of what was going on in the days of the prophet Amos. Amos lived in the days before the invasion of the Assyrians, which came as a result upon the nation of Israel. Let me give you the backdrop. Sometimes the backdrop is very important. At this particular moment, the nation of Israel is not Israel as a whole, all 12 tribes. The nation has been divided. Israel's the northern kingdom, Judah's the southern kingdom. Ten tribes are north, two are south. And in the days of Amos, Amos has a prophetical word from God that he speaks and he's prophesying about the kingdom of Jeroboam II. If you understand anything about Jeroboam, this is Jeroboam II. He's the son of Jeroboam I who actually was the first king of Israel, of Israel in the division of the kingdom following the death of Solomon. And the Bible tells us in his days, 1 Kings chapter number 12, in the days of Jeroboam the first king, when Jeroboam got his kingdom and the kingdom was divided, he knew that in order to continue to influence his kingdom, he had to keep them from going on their annual treks to Jerusalem. Because if they went on the annual trek to Jerusalem, they would hear the law. They'd hear the word of God. They would hear the teachings of the scriptures. And he knew that he could not control them if they went down. They'd get radicalized in the law of God. They'd become zealot for the things of God. They, they would become passionate for the pure religion of Israel. And so he said, the way, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to prevent them from going. So he went to one of Israel's most historic sites. It was called Bethel. Now, what's unique about this at Bethel, Bethel's called the house of God. You know what he did at Bethel? You remember what Bethel was about, don't you? Remember where it first came to prominence when a man by the name of Jacob made his journey uh, into Canaan's land? The Bible says he stopped and he pillowed his head on a stone. And during the night, he saw visions to God. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And God spoke to him and called him into his kingdom, his covenant family. And when he did, he woke up and he wiped the sleep out of his eye. And he said, he said my God, God was in this house. I wish the American church would have a, a Jacob moment. I wish the American church would wipe the sleep out of our eyes and say, you know what? This is God's house. And I didn't even know it. And he poured oil on the rock. And he said, this is Bethel. It means the house of God in Hebrew. So you know what Jeroboam did? He said in order to prevent people from going to Jerusalem to get radicalized in the true faith of Israel, he set up a golden calf at Bethel. And he sanctified unholy priests to lead the worship in front of the golden calf. Because by bringing, why did he choose a golden calf? Because he could go all the way back to the inclination that had already been in the hearts of the Israelite people for Baal worship and such things, going all the way back to the Exodus. And you know what he said? He said the same words. These be thy gods. Do you not remember when Aaron cast the gold into the fire and a golden calf came out? What did they say? The people said, these be thy gods that brought thee out of Egypt. And so he said the same thing and he prevented people. Well, Amos 
is now prophesying in the days of Jeroboam II, the second. Let's read this for just a moment because it bears witness with my heart. Amaziah the priest, the 10th verse, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, and he said, Amos has conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to... For thus saith Amos, or for, this is what Amos is saying, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive out of their own land. And so Amaziah, this is Amaziah, the unsanctified priest that Jeroboam has sanctified. God didn't sanctify him, but the king sanctified him. Oh, I don't, uh, uh, Lord Jesus, let me just focus. Amaziah said to Amos, thou seer, go away into the land of Judah. There eat your bread and prophesy there. But don't prophesy, don't bring your religious preaching into our political arena. Don't bring your political preaching into our religious arena. And notice what he said. You go down there and you prophesy, but don't do it here. This is the king's chapel and it's the king's court. And Amos said these words, and this is where I feel. He said, I was not a prophet. I was a prophet's son. I'm just, he said, I wasn't a prophet's son. He said, I was just a herdman. I was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Said, I just wanted to be, I'm raising my family out on the farm. I wasn't trying to be a preacher. I wasn't trying to be a prophet. But Amos said that the Lord spoke to me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, go, prophesy unto my people Israel. So he said, Amaziah, I want you to hear what God has said. You told me not to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. I believe God's going to raise up a generation of Amoses in our generation that have the courage to look the polluted, distorted religious system that is caved to the political pressures of our age. And we're going to say this. We don't care whether Hillary tells us that we've got to change our mean demeanor towards uh, the, these religious issues. We don't care what she says. What we're going to say is that we're going to speak the word of God. Whether or not you approve us or not, whether it comes from the political house, the White House, or even the church house, God's going to raise up men and women that have the courage to speak the truth no matter how unpopular it becomes. And I've set my heart. See, in my heart, I'm a peacemaker. In my heart, you know what the happiest days of my life are? I just like to walk around on the farm. I just like to see a few cattle. And then now I've got babies and grand, I've got grandbabies. But I cannot be silent in a day of apostasy and apathy. I cannot. I'm going to use whatever little voice that God gives me. Because I'm not going to be a part of those who by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? So as I'm preparing to close today in the church, here's the reality. Many live ungodly, immoral lives in the church. Unholy, polluted, bound by lust, perversions. I didn't say the world. I don't expect the world. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I don't expect the world to walk in holiness. God doesn't expect the world. Until they come through the fountain. But once they come to the fountain, right? Then the expectation comes that God's going to change our lives. But unfortunately, we're living in the generation when many in the church still bound by perversions and demonic strongholds. It's time to see that broken off of them in the name of Jesus. It's time for men and women to stop feeding the weakness of their flesh by worldly living. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? By addictions and by entertainment. 
They said, I know, you know, we, we do such a good job of looking back to the past and Pentecostalism, saying those old religious Pentecostals, and they, you know, they, were, they, they just judged everybody. And, and I, you know what? No, they didn't. There's always a few that did. Yeah, but, you know, there's a few that do now. But I'll tell you what, just standing for something of morality, are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Just because you're holding forth the Word of God in truth doesn't mean that you're an embittered person. Right? We're just trying to help people in love in the name of Jesus. So don't judge my heart. God knows my heart. You will feel at liberty when you receive the truth. When you receive it, when you just start saying, God, let this word get on the inside of me. You called me for more than to be an addict all my life. You called me for more than to be bound by pornography and lust. You, you called me for more than these things. When you begin to sit, get that word inside your heart, it's going to bring liberty to you, to your heart and life. You know, I've been, I'm going to just go. I just feel it today. Pastor Brown, just go ahead. I just feel the Lord. Don't give me the social injustice sob story. I'm just going to be, I don't want to hear it today. Listen, let me tell you, our benevolence is personal between us and God. The individuals we help through various means. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? And so you, you don't know how benevolent I've been. You don't know what's going on in, in the context. Uh, just being poor, though, doesn't mean you have to become dependent. Oh, I'll preach it anyhow, pal. I'm going to. Just being poor doesn't mean you have to be dependent or it doesn't mean you have to be addicted. And it doesn't mean you have to be a lawless lawbreaker. It doesn't mean. I'm preaching to folks that were raised in poverty and you still did the right thing. And I've been there myself. So many cling to here's the only mission of the church. We need to feed the poor and clothe the naked. Let me tell you about the body of Christ in America. We do that. We do that. Walk down the street. There are not naked people standing on the street corner. Anybody in Cleburne County can go to multiple food pantries, multiple clothing closets, and get the basic necessities of life. Then it's provided for by the body of Christ almost exclusively. But even beyond that, there are even civic organizations that are reaching out and doing those things. Our willingness to be benevolent does not release us from the responsibility of teaching and preaching the truth. It doesn't. Paul said division can hinder the church, but he said it's a necessary thing to give God's approval. Aaron, join me as I close today. You say, well, pastor, who is approved? Who's approved? That's a difficult question. We have to wait before God for his affirmation. Herod took John, threw him into prison. While there, John doubted, questioned, got a word from Jesus, lifted his spirit. Herod had him decapitated presented his head in a charger to his wife that he took unlawfully. He had put John in prison because John reproved him. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Now, the world would say Herod had God's approval. But I'm going to tell you today, John had God's approval. So you can't look at the end of someone's life and say, well, he didn't have God's approval. Jesus said when he heard about his death, he was, it moved him. He went out in the wilderness and said, what did, you go, what did you come in the wilderness to see? A soft pillow prophet? He said, there's no, among all those that are ever born of a woman, there's never been a greater than John the Baptist. So we're wanting God's affirmation. That's what I want. 
Let me tell you as I close today. Here's what I don't want to be. I don't want to be condescending. Just because you speak against something doesn't mean that you are condescending to a person. Doesn't mean that I'm condemning or I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't want to say one thing and do something else. I'm just preaching it the way God gave it to me. I don't want to be weak-hearted either. I don't want to be puffed up in pride and arrogance. You know who has God's approval? I'll tell you what. You know who has God's approval? Those who have an anointing upon their life. Because the anointing is tangible. The anointing is tangible. It's His fragrance. It's Jesus' fragrance. Those who are sincere, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. You know who uh, has God's approval? Those who love people. Because God loves people. And so do we. Right? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying today? So do we. Those who love, believe in, and conform their lives to the scriptures. That's who I want to be a part of. I want to conform my life to the word of God. And I want to try to move you in whatever way possible. Till you begin to hide this word in your heart. And you begin to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Let me go further. You know who I believe has God's approval? Those who are willing to endure hardships. Ridicule and isolation. I believe those who have God's approval are those who stay the course. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Those who stay the course. Don't give up. Don't give in. JoJo said it a moment ago. Don't go back to the world. Doesn't have anything for you. Right? It's not always easy. God loves. God corrects those that he loves. If there's no reproval, the Bible uses a strong language. King James English says if there's no reproval, you're a bastard. You're illegitimate. So I don't want to hear that. I'm just telling you, King James English, you're illegitimate in the eyes of God. Because when you're God's children, you're correctable. You're correctable. And the Word of God is correcting in nature to us. And so we have to receive it. So God, this is who He affirms and He approves. Those who love Him more than money. Those who love purpose more than prestige. Those who embrace morality. Those who will change their attitude, their actions, even their attire, and even their aspirations for God's glory. Those who recognize that there is a distinction between you and the world. And I'm just preaching it. Those who don't need the approval of men. Those who don't need the approval of denominations or political institutions. But our desire is to have God's approval. So let's go back and let's sum everything up together. The thing that many of you have been waiting on from the beginning. When you first think about division, you think about the weakness that it can cause the body. God speaks and says, I would that there be no divisions among you. Through the Apostle Paul's pen. And then 10 chapters later, he said, but divisions are necessary. It could get even more necessary in the American church. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? It could get even more necessary in the American church as a spirit of antichrist tries to bring the body into some type of one type of unholy alliance and allegiance. I'm just telling you today, I know in whom I have believed. And I know what that word of God says. 
And I'm uniting my heart together with men and women of a like, precious faith. Y'all stand up with me today.